Hello and welcome to a one-off special extravaganza. Special, special, special. Incredible podcast moment where Why Would You Tell Me That comes back for one episode only. Uh, until like in about two weeks when all the rest of the episodes come. But this is, no, this is a special episode. Neil is here. I am here. And we are here to do something incredulous. <laughs> Aren't we? Yes, we are. Today's show is our first special themed show, and it's all with thanks to Now, where you can stream House of the Dragon weekly. So we are entering today the world of Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, and the world created by George Martin, as I like to call him. So we're going to talk about dragons in part one, and in part two, we're going to chat to the economist Peter Antonioni about the economics of Game of Thrones and what might be missing in that world, why it's missing, and just why it's like our world in some ways, Dave, but not always. The economics of the Game of Thrones world. Yeah, yeah. And the great thing about this is uh, you and I love Game of Thrones. That's the, that's the joy of this. Adore it. Yeah, we don't have to pretend that we're doing an episode about something we don't like. You know, yeah. hey, Dave, you and I both love the new Golden Dermis tanning lotion, right? It's number one for me. You could do all the different shades from burning lucasade hepatitis c or watery baraka what i like is their balloon applicator loads of fake tans of a brush or a glove dave but you and i both know with golden dermis you just stand in front of the balloon naked and fill it until it explodes over you yes the finish is a little uneven but the jackson pollock effect really draws the gasps on the beach <laughs> my point is that we love game of thrones we do so we don't have to do those dances things. And I have impeccable Game of Thrones credentials. Have I told you this? You do. I do, yeah. No. Yeah, okay. Uh, first of all, I know a girl from Northern Ireland, where it was filmed. She called her baby Winter. And I always thought that when that child was being born, if that midwife didn't look up at her and go, Winter is coming, that was an opportunity lost. <laughs> but but um, I have held the needle in my hands. The iconic sword the from Arya Game Stark's of Thrones. sword. Yes. I once worked oh, with the armorer. On. Yeah, yeah, the armorer from Game of Thrones. And uh, he for was, what? Hang on, stop. For what purpose were you working with an armor? Are you <laughs> are you involved in gang warfare? I don't know about. <laughs> it's quite rough where I live. I don't know if you've been out there lately, but um, you just you know <laughs> snitches get stitches, and you got to come prepared. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you got you to bring a needle to a gunfight. Uh, he was he. he I, I was doing a documentary on Red Hugh O'Donnell, and there's a few armorers on that, you know, and. Um, uh, he was showing me the muskets and the swords and all the rest. And he showed me this and he had made the needle, several of the needles. And I have to tell you, there was one bit in it where there's another guy in the crew. He was from West Belfast as well. And uh, this, th the guy who's made the needle was trying to show us about one particular battle in the Nine Years' War, about what it would look like if a, a pound of gunpowder exploded. And it must have gotten wet because it wouldn't explode. He couldn't light it. <laughs> and after about 15 minutes of this, the other guy walked up and went, you've made a show of us. You're the only lad I know from West Belfast who can't blow something up. <laughs> And he was allowed to say it. <laughs> yes, of course. You are one of the most interesting people I know, Neil, because at any point, pretty much on any topic, your story will go, I once did that. I was making a documentary about it. <laughs> are you the world's most prolific documentary maker? Like we've had the the centrifugal force, G-force chamber. I was yeah. making a documentary about space. Yeah. We've yeah. had the, I've gone 
uh, free diving. I did it in a, a, a cave in Tipperary or something. Like yeah. every time we turn around, you've now made a documentary about Red Hugh O'Donnell that required you to have conversations and near explosive in si- situations with, sorry, I should, should say situations uh, with <laughs> the lads in West Belfast who make the needles. I mean, like, is there anything you haven't made a documentary about? No. So few people have seen my documentaries that I can lie about the subject matter of any documentary. <laughs> no one's going to go, oh, no, I saw that because they didn't. So I've also met Gemma Whelan, who uh, is in Game of Thrones. I did a TV show with her once and I hadn't watched Game of Thrones at the time. And she turned around and she said, no, 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 I play somebody, uh, a ruler from the Iron Islands. And I misheard as the Iron Islands oh, yeah. and thought that would be a much more entertaining version <laughs> of Game of Thrones. Taught on Geary egg Um <laughs> So they're my kind of Game of Thrones connections. Yeah, all the lads are there trying to fight off White Walkers. With, well, look, don't kill us. Do you want to buy an iron jumper? They're gorgeous. <laughs> Get on the ferry and go back to the mainland. So they're my connections. But I know you love this show. Yeah, I do. And I have some connections too. So I haven't made any documentaries about anything. But I have interviewed some of the major, Ooh. I'm, I'm talking major characters okay. in Game of Thrones. Um, so the first one that springs to mind. Go on, you 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 see you you guess. Jon Snow. Yes. No. One thousand percent. Kit Harrington. Interview Kit Harrington. However, it was not for Game of Thrones. No. And not only was it not for Game of Thrones, there was also a let's not ask any Jon Snow questions. Ah. Let's only talk about the movie that Kit Harrington is in. So look we kind of broke the rules. We did ask him a couple of things and he was very generous and all the rest, but I've interviewed Jon Snow and it was class. Um, I've also interviewed a character from Game of Thrones who I guess in the Game of Thrones world, he's far from a major character, but in the real world, which I know for some people it's hard to discern between the two. Yeah. Uh, but in the real world, he is a major, major celebrity. Uh, Padre Pio. No, he didn't make the cut. He got he got in. He was in the Battle of the Bastards, but he he just he, the arrows just kept going through his hands, and they just said, "You know what? We'll just cut you out." Mahatma Gandhi. No, Ed Sheeran. Oh, do you remember him in Game of Thrones? It was he? Uh, he was yeah. He was around the campfire, wasn't he? And he yeah. was was he a balladeer in it, or yeah. was he just a warrior around the campfire? No, no. I think he well, he, he certainly at some point pulled out some class of a mandolin or a lute or something and played a song around a campfire with again Arya Stark I'm pretty sure was there with him was there that scene where he apologised for Galba Girl and was eaten by a, a, a dragon immediately <laughs> no that was completely in your head that didn't happen in real life um, and again Ed was on to promote his album he wasn't really that interested in talking about the five seconds that he was in Game of Thrones but it didn't stop me asking him about it uh, because as you said Neil <laughs> we love Game of Thrones Yes, you're in charge of this episode. Uh, you just came to me one day and said, "Hey, you know the way we've got this like break from between season one and season two? And I was like, "Sorry, who is this? I've blocked your number." Um, and you were like, <laughs> <laughs> "You're like, it's the guy, the documentary maker you do the podcast with." I'm like, "Oh, that guy? Yeah, 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 yeah." The smaller, less posh Louis Theroux. <laughs> You just said, turn up on this date and we'll talk about something we love. So it's Game of Thrones. Yes, it is Game of Thrones. And it is to celebrate House of the Dragon. But you don't have to have watched Game of Thrones. So let's get into House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones universe facts. Because I watched the first episode the other night and I'm totally on board. So my first question to you, my friend, is what do you think Matt Smith would have done if he wasn't an actor? Damon Targaryen. I can't remember the exact 
number of years between the two series. If you have watched Game of Thrones, I think it's 172 years before Daenerys Targaryen comes on the scene. Born, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so this, these would be, I suppose, the, I'm not sure what way it works, descendants or antecedents. These would be the descendants of, no, the antecedents, antecedents. of, whatever, that's, that's it, of uh, Daenerys Targaryen. Um, yeah, yeah please, please don't ever do Who Do You Think You Are with Dave Moore, where you think they're going <laughs> to trace your children in the future because yes! you haven't understood how a family tree works. I would be far more interested in finding out where wh- what my kids did in the future and their kids and their kids than going back and going, it, it, it was someone in the 15th century and they lived for 36 years and had no teeth. Yeah, I don't care. What happened in the future? Were there, was there consciousness uploaded to the cloud? What did Mark Zuckerberg do in 2075? I need to know the answers to these questions. Yeah, it's not called Who Do You Think You Are? It's called What Do You Think Would Become Of Us? <laughs> it's more of a manic street preacher sort of a vibe. Anyway, I don't know. What would Matt Smith have done if he wasn't an actor? I think he would have been a footballer. He was a very, very good footballer. His granddad played for Notts County and he hoped to follow suit. He played in the youth teams for Northampton Town. Kind kind of impressive. Nottingham Forest, getting a bit more impressive. Joined Leicester City, which he captained as a teenager. Could have been a professional footballer, but he was diagnosed with spondylosis. You know, the condition that causes the degeneration in the spine. It's much more common in older people. And uh, he had to give up football, but he was excellent. That is unbelievable. Yeah, he had the genetic heritage and was very good, but just got unlucky. Um, Next up, Dragon Facts, my friend. Mm -hmm. I love a fact. Very, very interesting creatures. Do you know what a muddy dragon is? He is the most famous blues dragon guy. And <laughs> he, 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 he sits there and he goes, when I was a young dragon, I didn't know what I was going to do. Then I flew into Westeros and I became the king. Lord of mercy. Is that, is, that, is that Money Dragon? Oh, if only the people could see that he was doing the swaying in the seat. <laughs> I was in a New Orleans jazz bar. I could see the sea lapping at the top of the levee. Oh, it was a bit. He had a little pork pie hat on him. It was amazing. <laughs> no, that is not what a Muddy Dragon is. Right. A Muddy Dragon is the position where you make love to a seahorse from behind. <laughs> I preferred my answer. (laughs) Uh, It's not. It is the Chinese alligator. Oh. Did you know this? Yeah, there's the Yangtze alligator. I didn't even realize China had alligators. They grow up to about five feet long. There are fewer than a hundred left of them. And what's amazing about them is like a lot of alligators, they lay eggs. And what determines the sex of the offspring is the temperature that they're incubated at. Mm. So females are produced at lower incubation temperatures of about below 28 degrees. Males are produced at uh, above kind of 33 degrees. And then if you get about 31 degrees, you get an even number of males and females. Or depending on where the egg is maybe in a nest it might be at a higher temperature or lower temperature amazing and i mean if you if you want to we don't give away a spoiler of any description but in lots of these kinds of fantastical worlds the heir to the throne is always in question and often because we come from patriarchal societies i need a son you must bear me a son so i can have an heir to my throne 
all you got to do is up the temp and then you just keep the, your your pregnant wife in a sauna yeah. all the time and then you're going to get a boy. Yeah, your pregnant wife's going, you don't care whether it's a boy or a girl and you're like, no, no, no. And she wakes up in the middle of the night and you're just, you're just sewing her into a lagging jacket. <laughs> you're just balancing a, a really a really heavy super sir over her bed going, shush, <laughs> it's fine. This isn't dangerous at all. Weren't they all called sir? The sir is S-E-R. I, I never, they were S-E-R's <laughs> as well. Yeah. This is super sir of four bar fire. He is here to ensure the continuity of the heirs. Mainly because before now, Dave Moore was responsible for all future generations, but he didn't understand how generations work. So we only got your ancestors. The next heir was a ghost. I can only apologize. So next dragon fact, Komodo dragons. Yeah. Do you know how a Komodo dragon kills its prey? Well, I think you were going to say kills you. And I was like, have you got... Turn around, Dave, because I've planted a Komodo dragon in behind you and he's about to assassinate you. That's what it sounded like. You're yeah, you know to. James Bond for um, Roger Moore? Do I know the how... crocodile. Do you know that one? Yeah. You know, you know that? It's, is it an octopus? Yeah. Well, yeah. I've taken yeah. that and I've run with it. And there's a, there's a jockey in a Komodo dragon behind you. Willie Carson <laughs> is going to kill you momentarily. <laughs> Um, no, I have no idea how, whether it's me or some kind of more normal prey. I, come, I presume the Komodo dragon just bites it, no? Yeah, well, now, it obviously lives in the island of Komodo, biggest, uh, and, and another couple of islands in Indonesia, biggest lizard in the world. You're talking 10 feet long. It waits for a goat or a deer to go into a watering hole, and then it just tips yeah. a toaster into <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not how it does it no what it that's does is it, it, it unplugs the top of the canister of the gas in the super sir it waits until the deer goes into the watering hole yeah. and then it just lights its zippo and kabloom <laughs> so it does bite you you're right but the venom has this anticoagulant in it right so people thought it was uh, the researchers yeah. used to think that it was bacteria in the mouth of the komodo dragon and then that would cause an infection and that would you die well no it's actually the venom that's the major school of thought now it has anticoagulant in it it lowers your blood pressure and something like a water buffalo will die maybe 72 hours later what sort of bad mm. bastard bites you and three days later you die you're grand on a friday and then you're dead in a monday like a reverse jesus <laughs> <laughs> or everybody on the weekend. I grand on the Friday. I can't go to work today, though. I just absolutely can't do it. I'm dying. I think the worst thing is you'd think you'd be grand. And you'd be like, did he get you, Kevin? I think it's only a flesh wound, Sean. It is only a flesh wound. And you'd be like taunting the dragon. Little gecko. You're just a little gecko. Little gecko. Aldi salamander. Aldi salamander. And then three days later... By the way, Aldi Salamander was one of the big hits for Muddy Dragon. It was on his first album when he moved <laughs> from the deep south to Chicago. And then you're dead three days later. <laughs> yeah. Let's get on to House of the Dragon Dragons. Uh, my question to you is, well, a couple of things here. I love the fact that this entire universe has created more uh, scientific endeavor than any other TV show, I think. Like there was two uh, injury epidemiologists at Sydney's uh, Macquarie University. This is Ryder Leistad and um, Benjamin Brown. And they watched all 67 episodes up until until season eight. This was before season eight. And they like figured out you had a 14% chance of dying within the first hour if you were a new character. This is what they were looking at. This is published in the Journal of Injury Epidemiology. They also, if you were a low-born uh, male and you uh, were loyal, dead. <laughs> 
My favorite piece of research, and this applies to House of the Dragon as well, is if those, and this is a genuine question, if those dragons existed, could they fly? If they existed on Earth, could they fly, Dave? I, I have the answer to this. Yeah. No. And the reason is... Yeah. And I'm, I'm prepared to have my, my lore yeah. corrected. Yeah. And this is why people can get in touch with the show at Why Would You Tell Me That on Instagram. Dragons can't fly. Okay. Wyverns can fly. Okay. So, okay. So, this is where I'm. I'm someone's going to go. You idiot! It's a, it's a some other name. So here's what I think: Dragons don't have wings. Dragons are snake-like with legs and and four legs and rear legs and whatever, but they don't have wings. The things that have wings are wyverns, wyverns. I don't know how you pronounce it. Now, Ooh. like I said. Getting touch. I was very confident at the start. I'm beginning to doubt myself as we go through this conversation considerably more than four, <laughs> four seconds ago. But I'm pretty sure there's some kind of fantastical folklore where dragon, no wings, wyvern, wings. Oh, I could be so wrong. Well, okay. Let me say to you that the things we know as dragons in House of the Dragon... <laughs> Can't believe what you me. don't want to be specifically incorrect about some <laughs> fantastical folklore, Neil. I mean, come Mythical on, that's creature. why you signed up with me. <laughs> there's a documentary about wyverns. Let me tell you about that. Um, well, this is there's been loads of debate about this. So, some naturalists have said no, they couldn't because the biggest bird that's ever flown is this, and the dragons aren't big enough, etc. 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 My mm. favorite is a guy who went, No, they can, of course, they can fly. And he was an aeronautical engineer and he wrote this article. He was Guy Grattan. He, at the time, he was the visiting senior research fellow in aeronautics in Brunel University in London. And this is what he did. I'm going to have to try he and He is su- qualified. <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to try and summarize this. He estimated the size of the dragon by comparison to Daenerys, who looks to be about 1.6 meters, about five foot three inches tall and about 60 kilograms. Okay. That is a dangerous place to start estimating a woman's height and weight, but we will move <laughs> on from there. The dragon is not the most dangerous thing in this particular scenario. So he goes, the body of the dragon is four times as long as her, around five times as deep, about twice as wide, with a tail about the same length again. So basically he reckons the dragon is about 2,600 kilograms. Stay with me. Considering everyone in Westeros Mm. seems to move in a similar way to us on Earth, let's assume the same gravitational pull. He reckons that basically the dragon's weight is 26,000 newtons. Then he goes, we need the wing area. He roughly gets that guesses that at about 64 square meters then he calculates the stalling speed of a dragon which is the slowest that a, dra- a dragon can safely fly right and he, it would be reasonable to guess that dragons take off and land at roughly their stalling speed yeah which is like airplanes right and then he says it seems that the dragon's body length of about 13 meters passes by in about three seconds, which puts the stalling speed of a, at about 14 feet per second. If we use the standard E Earth sea level air density, it gives a lift coefficient of 36, which, as we know, is completely unrealistic, Dave. A lift coefficient of 36? That's madness. That is madness. A tiny one-seater plane might have a lift coefficient of 2.2 or maybe 2.7 and a push, Dave. This sort of 36 <laughs> nonsense is cray-cray. But Guy is the most qualified. He's he, This is a visiting senior something or other at Brunel. This guy knows what he's talking Surely he's right. Get, Guy's not finished. You can't interrupt Guy. Oh. Guy knows what he's talking about. So he says... 
They must be flying in an atmosphere that is more dense than ours. So he thought, what sort of gases would would probably make up that atmosphere? And he went, I'm going to go for argon, which is 42% denser than nitrogen. So at about seven bars pressure, a 70% argon and 30% (laughs) oxygen mix would produce the air density that the lift equation worked out at. In simple terms, we could have more dense uh, atmosphere if the air is heavier in this case by replacing the inert nitrogen we have on earth with a heavier or more accurately denser argon and that is how dragons can fly in westeros so the komodo dragon bites you and the venom's anticoagulant makes you bleed out neil delamer kills you by reading out physics facts from an article about dragons and i am i am expiring here on the chair as we continue if there was anybody else, I reckon I would have gotten as far as the size of the dragon's wingspan. But even your nerdiness went, I don't want to listen to the rest of this, but there's a part of me. What is it? The line in the exorcist? The power of Christ compels you. The power of fact compels you. Look, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. I promise you a house of the dragon fact, and I have given you one. You have more than you have more than delivered. And Guy, uh, Guy is my new um, hero, but I never want to hear from him again. <laughs> okay. So you said we're going to talk about the economics of the world of Game of Thrones. So in part two, who do we have coming in? What kind of qualifications do they have? It better not be this guy guy from Brunette <laughs> University. <laughs> so we've insulted the life out of him. Uh, we have in part two, Peter Antonioni. He is a lecturer in economics from UCL. He is co-author of Economics for Dummies, Microeconomics for Dummies, Macroeconomics for Dummies. And he is going to tell us a couple of things about Westeros and the Seven Kingdoms that I'd never caught before. Like, why didn't they have an industrial revolution, for example? Stuff like that. Oh. Yeah, he's really interesting. We'll talk to him in part two. Welcome to part two of Why Would You Tell Me That? We now have Peter Antonioni, a lecturer in economics from UCL and co-author of Economics for Dummies, Microeconomics for Dummies, and Macroeconomics for Dummies. How are you, Peter? Oh, yeah. How are you doing? I'm very well. Now, you did a show in Kilconomics called The Economics of Game of Thrones. Now, Kilconomics, if people don't know about it, is is a comedy stroke economics festival in uh, Kilkenny every year. So let's talk about Westeros. You wrote about a certain oddity in the world of Westeros. What was it? Well, just how long Westeros had been pretty much stuck in exactly the same kind of, I'm going to say medieval, although I'm going to say something about um, how that's not really fair in a moment. (laughs) But basically, we've got a Westeros that seems to be stuck for 6,000 years in a repeating pattern, Um, doesn't uh, evolve any particular technologies, doesn't um, become a more complex or more rich society. Social uh, progress seems to be absolutely zero. And none of these things were true of the actual Middle Ages, by the way. So the real conclusion to this is it's actually really, really difficult to invent a coherent and consistent fictional history for a society. I mean, even inventing a coherent fictional backstory for a single character often eludes authors. <laughs> Thinking about it on a, on a societal level and on the level of technology and economics, it's a very hard job. 
in order to have this society that's kind of frozen in the snow globe so that the action is in the right place for where you want it to be, one of the things George Martin does is he um, basically elides over a hell of a lot of progress and actually quite sophisticated technology that we got in the medieval period. Well, you said specifically in your article, wasn't it? The phrase was, why has West Trust not had an industrial revolution? So that, like they don't have canon, for example, right. where we had canon in, in Europe. What was the reason for that? This is actually one of the things where there was a a small scale medieval industrial revolution. There were others around hydraulic power, Hmm. water wheels. Ireland was a world superpower of tidal technology at one point because, you know, it used tidal mills so heavily. Right. How the hell did we lose that? (laughs) Well, there are other more efficient ways of getting power. (laughs) Funnily enough, Neil, than relying on the sea. Come back in, sea! I want to take a hot shower. No, <laughs> yeah. heading out there towards the island. <laughs> so that's that's one of the interesting things you say, fossil fuels. That Peter, you have said that one of the reasons that they didn't have an industrial revolution, for example, like the the, indus- the industrial revolution, if I can use that phrase, is they didn't have fossil fuels. Uh, yeah, I mean uh, the thermal load of um, of wood is actually very low. Now there are some advantages to uh, over later um, coal use, for for example, in making steel. It's easier to control the carbon content of steel if you're using peat, mm. for example, as your as your fire. Uh, coal was often too dirty, and it wasn't until the later invention of processes that uh, first enabled us to do smelting iron and then controlled carbon content steel in that kind of way. Let's say, where does the Industrial Revolution start? Where do you date the Industrial Revolution starting from? And if, it's, if you're going to ask me that, I'm going to say, well, ar- around the time that Shakespeare was writing his great tra- tragedies, so 1605, 1606, someone in Spain gets a patent on a steam-engined pump. And later that century, that becomes um, branding was great in those days, by the way. So it became the engine for raising water by fire. <laughs> wow. Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> that is a George R.R. Martin novel. That's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> so if they have no coal, uh, no, no fossil fuel in West Trust, that's one issue. But the other issue is something that you mentioned there is that that technology about about coal and about that steam um fired engine that was spread all over europe and and one technology one technological breakthrough leads to the next one whereas if we look at westros people ho- hoard that sort of scientific knowledge don't they well the only people in westeros who have that kind of knowledge are the maesters yes Okay, this is one of the clever things in the book is the allegation the whole way along that the maesters have actually been hoarding that knowledge to some kind of purpose. In the times of the story, I mean, the only people who can actually um, read and write are the maesters. They're in the king's ears. They're in the queen's ears. They're like they're very, very powerful people. And often, as we've seen in the TV show and as we've read in the books, they are far more informed than even the most powerful people. That's right, yeah. So that's a really great conceit that kind of wraps this up in a little bow that kind of makes this make sense. But when you think about, you know, our history, medieval technology was not crap. Mm. I mean, look at the look at the cathedrals that are all the way around Europe that, um, you know, a bit of maintenance and they're, they've been standing for a thousand years. Mm. Um, look at the bridges that are used every day. 
those bridges might have taken 40 or 50 or 60 or 100 years to build in the in the first instance because that type of technology we were not doing well but the actual design of the bridges you know they're so effective they're still used on a daily basis all all the way across Europe so i mean medieval technology was neither entirely static in reality nor absolutely rubbish it, it was innovative it had to take place over a longer period of time um, knowledge wasn't as closed up uh, masons traveled around learning from each other there are some significant differences in um, in what happened with technology and what happens with technology in Westeros I mean uh, there are analogs in our world for example um, if you want to be smart about who invented a technology you just say Greece or China <laughs> now, one of the things with so many things that China invented first, there's a famous historical question called the Needham question, which is, if China invented it first, why was China parceled up by Western powers at the end of the 19th century? Mm. Why did it Why did it not become, um, you know, a great early technological superpower? And there are a number of answers to that questions. Centralization of power is one of them. Um, the uh, instability caused by local warlords is another one. There are, you know, there are uh, explanations that come from the power of eunuchs at the court over the over the emperor in some ways, or a Mandarin class that was um, uh, altogether overly um, wedded to a classical way of thinking on everything. But it is true, China was a, and always has been a tremendously innovative society. It's that those innovations did not diffuse and their leadership seemed to have an interest in preventing them from doing so. I mean, for heaven's sake, this is a country that had sm the smallpox vaccine in the ninth century. Yeah. Are there any other elements of Westeros and the kingdoms and the world of Game of Thrones that are analogous to what we have lived through as humans in commas in the real world, or are there things like the Industrial Revolution that are absolutely blatantly missing from the world of Westeros? Well, to say that the uh, Industrial Revolution is missing is really to say that what we think of as an Industrial Revolution hasn't really happened. Mm. It's that progress of the medieval societies, I think, that's missing. Right. But there would have been, I think, more widespread reading and writing. It's, um, you know, unfathomable that the trades wouldn't, for example, have known how to do some arithmetic, for example. By the time that, you know, you've gone through 6,000 years of this stasis, there should be a lot more embedded knowledge. You go back to the episodes of Game of Thrones, there are shipping, there are harbour ports, there are very wealthy nations. They're not wealthy because they just have a big store of gold. They're wealthy because they're trading. And they're so although you maybe don't, you know, see a scene where you're walking through one of the cities and there's a drapery shop and a bakery and whatever, you, you do get the sense that even though they're not shown because they're not relevant to the story we're actually telling, that they're there. And as you said, you that's true. Yeah, you can't do that without arithmetic or or some form of ledger writing or, you know, knowing how much money you have and where it's coming from and all the rest. That's true. And this, you know, this speaks to one of the, just the entire difficulty of conjuring a society out of your words. Dave is right in one sense. Uh, like, there's definitely things you, you, you look in, look at in the TV shows and you go, oh, you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of X. And the one for me is the shadowy iron bank 
which if you are Irish and we have Irish listeners to this and the IMF came in and the Troika came into Ireland, it said, these are the conditions under which you are allowed to have this money. I'm sitting watching Game of Thrones going, that sounds eerily familiar. Is the Iron Bank like the IMF or the ECB? Well, yes, it is. Um, But it is in a not by institutional design. It is because it's the only big lender out there. Other lenders are mentioned in the books very tangentially, but all of them know that the IMF is the big one. And uh, the IMF, the Iron Bank. (laughs) (laughs) There is insufficient credit in Westeros. We don't need to, you know, have uh, posited payday lending or peer-to-peer crypto funds or anything (laughs) like that to think there should perhaps be a bit more banking there. Um, As far as it goes in uh, Bravos, does the uh, Iron Bank behave like a um, lender that cannot be guaranteed uh, the return of their funds and doesn't have recourse to law? Well, yes, if the implication that they uh, merely go to the faceless men and have their problems solved like that Mm. is is accurate, you know, then um, yes. And this is, you know... Exactly why, uh, you know, you borrowed money, but you did it grudgingly. And you knew that if you didn't pay back, it wasn't, you weren't going to be hauled up at the county court and have a county court judgment and have to make a voluntary credit agreement or anything like that. No, somebody came along and stabbed you between the ribs. Very different. I love the idea of you you contributing on the next book with George or or Martin going, listen, there's not enough Wonga in it. I want a couple of bit more of Wonga. And then I also want want a guy, a minstrel walking around the town square going, have you been injured at an accident at work that wasn't your fault? (laughs) Just call this town crier and we can get some money for you in the courts. (laughs) Let me ask you this, because you wrote about game theory and, uh, you know, you're trying to guess like everybody was just before the eighth series of Game of Thrones. And and I'm assuming you're going to watch House of the Dragon as the spin-off, although you don't have to have watched one to have watched the other. Um, Did you guess, without giving anything away, if people haven't watched it, did you guess right of, about the end and who would end up on the Iron Throne, or did you spot any flaws in your theory? Yeah, so I thought it was going to end up with um, Bronn in charge. Okay. And I thought it was going to end up with the monarchy basically being replaced by some kind of junta. Like a military one, like... Yeah, not a democracy, but uh, a council of some kind. I'm trying to think how much we can say without going, congratulations, or that was a terrible guess. <laughs> As we do jump into a couple of hundred years before what we've seen in Game of Thrones, which is where we are with House of the Dragon, uh, we're not jumping outside the 6,000-year snow globe um, no. of, of time. I mean, do you think that there is the potential, uh, it's, it's a big leap to go inside or outside of that time? I mean you would really have to create an entirely new universe as an author, wouldn't you? You would. Or even if you're even if you're writing your own universe and you've got to this stage and now you think, I want to uh, take this beyond the Renaissance into the age of empires and industrialization, you would be writing a hell of a lot absolutely new about that period because you're now having to give... Um, at least the broad strokes of an account of how that society um, does make that turn. Mm. 
Yeah. So, you know, with this style of fantasy, the where where this kind of world building matters, and you know, there are other fantasy authors who are are much less uh, in depth about it. There are some that are very in depth about it, but to the extent that it matters, and to the extent that you really want to do that, um, you are really now trying to not not without invalidating your first account, you're trying to now build a second account of a second set of periods there. And that is again the same, the same really, really difficult job. Yeah, and you'll you'll because you know? you, you'll back you'll have to back reference at some point how the new reality came to be, and that can only be explained with a reference to a period of time that would naturally have occurred between X and Y, and in there there must have been, and then yeah, yeah. So you have to almost create the linear history to get to where you want to write your story. That's true. It's a hard one. I mean, uh, there's a story I would have loved about uh, the uh, continuing rise and fall of Bravos after the period of Game of Thrones. Always, I think, one of the most interesting places in it. But, um, you know, that that requires mapping out a new future path over that society until you're at the point where you want to write the, the book. I can't blame anyone for not wanting to take on that task twice. <laughs> well, that could happen. I mean, I think Dave and I are lazy enough if if we were writing that we would just have an asteroid hit at a convenient time and everything. The asteroid would have knocked out specifically the bits of technology that we did needed to knock out. Oh, it's a very specialized asteroid. It knocked out tidal pools and their steam turbines and microwaves. So if I haven't mentioned that or WhatsApp, that is all to do with the asteroid. Uh, Peter Antonioni, I can see why you write books called Economics for Dummies and Microeconomics for Dummies and Macroeconomics for Dummies because not only do you have a rare insight into these things, but you also, that makes me, that makes you sound like you're a dummy. Um, it also, you also can make complicated things seem simple for two dummies on the other end of the line. So thanks a million for chatting to us today, Peter. Thank you very much for having me. So welcome back to part three of Why Would You Tell Me That? Dave, what did you think? I mean, Peter looks at these things uh, in a way that other people don't, obviously, because economics is his his specialty. But you kind of look at it and go, when someone explains it to you, you go, oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I love about this is, and I mean, obviously, in, in some ways, you could look at the last conversation and think that we're maybe pointing out a flaw in George R. R. Martin's creation in the sense that, you know, this couldn't, this society couldn't possibly have stayed in the snow globe for 6,000 years or whatever. But I suppose really what it is, it's not that. It's that this is the universe that we're currently watching these stories unfold in. Whether we think it's, yeah. you know, analogous to our universe or, you know, is irrelevant because this is the one that we're in. So I suppose it kind of helps you, you know, park your reality brain and enjoy universe or what it is and i think that to me is really really exciting when it comes yeah. to what like this i i agree with you i also it's testament to two things one and um, how skilled the author is to create this world that we all believe in immediately yeah but also i mean he says that westeros hasn't had an industrial revolution but he doesn't say really uh, peter that this is completely mad because there are yeah. kind of reasons within within that world that they haven't had. So they don't have the fuel, they have centralized power, and um, the maesters have the knowledge. So even when there's something that isn't the same as us, 
there is a reason for it. Now, you could say, listen, maybe like, you know, when you read Yeats and you go, I think the author meant this. And if you were Yeats, you'd go, absolutely, I meant that. So if you met George R. R. Martin, he went, oh, yeah, that, all those mistakes were intentional or, or <laughs> yeah. that thing that you figured out wasn't a mistake. Absolutely, that's intentional. But it's, it's kind of testament to his creativity and the underlying logic of the whole thing that it works. Totally. And then also what it says to me about something like this is the transfer of it from book to screen has been so amazing that, you know, I haven't read the books, but having a conversation with Peter, who plainly has read the books, that you're still able to kind of jump in and see exactly the universe he's talking about. Uh, maybe we're seeing it with the the Hollywood glamour and maybe he's created it in his own, Peter's created it in his own head. Um, but you can get in there. And I think that's what bodes so well for House of the Dragon as well, because certainly based on the first episode, you're straight back into the world that feels familiar. And if you're going in for the first time, you're straight into a world that is so interesting and so different to what we're used to obviously living in, in the 21st century, whatever. But I think it's definitely worth streaming on now and, and watching House of the Dragon because you'll just see this entire universe unfurl before you. Yeah. Uh, and all of these things. I mean, we, like Peter looked at the economics, like what about... You could look at the gender roles of the world of Westeros. You could look at the fighting, the the, the military, the war side of Westeros. You could look at the societal structure of it. There's so many different angles you could take. Peter has done a brilliant job telling us about the economics, but this is such a rich world that George R. R. Martin has created. Yeah, there's loads of articles. There's one on the geology of it and yeah. what rocks are where and why, and that is explained uh, and how it has influenced their culture and their society. Absolutely. And we should say, all the things that Peter was talking about was Game of Thrones. This is 170 odd years before Daenerys Targaryen is born in mm. House of the Dragon. So all of it applies because this world has been around for about 6,000 years, it, you know, that George R.R. R. Martin has created. So everything we just spoke about also applies to House of the Dragon. You don't need to have watched one to watch the other. And as we say, we love that uh, it's on now, right now, streaming one episode a week. So watch it definitely recommend that you get in and uh, get yourself as much house of the dragon into your brain as is humanly possible neil i've really enjoyed this kind of unique special extravaganza episode in between our two seasons um and we should tell people of course that season two is on the way very soon uh we don't want to reveal too much yet about what is happening but put it this way this episode will come out then you'll hear about season two and then season two will be upon you season two is coming didn't sound no you weren't terrifying <laughs> no, in the slightest. <laughs> sounded far too far too polite far too friendly season two is coming and it will See, be in oh, your, season your two is coming you better shortly. keep holding that door open because she's coming but she's like 50 yards away so this is gonna be awkward for the next few minutes that's what it sounded <laughs> like uh okay well look thank you very much neil for providing this wonderful insight into the universe of george or martin's creation uh game of thrones and of course house of the dragon and we will see you very soon for season two of why would you tell me that wait for my fake tan to dry golden dermis oh golden dermis i look amazing i look like i've just been firebombed by one of the dragons <laughs>